Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Laura, say hello. Hello. Uh, we've got a fun episode for you today. We're going to be talking about, um, I guess, pettiness, negativity, <laughs> grievances, <laughs> um, very, various things of that nature that uh, writers and publishers alike rarely like to get into. Um, we've had a lot of episodes like that. Like we had the regret episode. Yeah. And we, yeah, but this one's, this one's more fun because <laughs> it's about the books themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, good. Um, so anyway, why don't we start with kind of the basic facts? Yes, absolutely. So if you're listening to this uh, and you normally listen to us early in the week, you know that we're getting to you a few days late. Um, so sorry about that. But the good news is, is if you if you are listening to this on April the 13th, you have two episodes to listen to today because... You better believe it. Thursday, <laughs> April 13th, is the day that our query show dropped on Patreon. So you've got lots of things to listen to if you um, are a subscriber there. Also, our first Pages episode goes live on Patreon in, on April the 27th. So mm-hmm. send us your first pages for us to critique at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? I think we got it. I think we got it. Um, so before we before we get into our main topic today... Um, I came across an article that um, I don't know. We did a we did a publishing death knell last week, and I felt you know what? It looks like we we found another one. And in that vein, I introduced to you a, an article in the Guardian by a woman named Claire Armistead. It's always the Guardian. <laughs> it's always it, the Guardian. It's always the Guardian. Um, can you judge a book by its odor? <laughs> <laughs> I can certainly judge um, men by their odor. Well. I, I have no response to that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, here we go. Um, I'm going to read you the first paragraph of this, and then we can just kind of go from there. What does it mean to experience a book? To a bibliophile such as Alberto Manguel, smell plays an important part. In a talk at the British Library this week, the one-time protege of Jorge Luis Borges and director of the National Library of Argentina said he was particularly partial to old penguin paperbacks, which he loved for their odor of, and I want you to stay with me here, Fresh rusk biscuits. What is a rusk biscuit? (laughs) Um, I don't know, but this. So apparently, we've turned um, we've turned book smelling into the new wine tasting. Is what we have here. Um, So apparently, these people. I mean, I'm I'm looking at some of these descriptions that they have, and it's like books apparently can smell like salt and pepper. Um, Some of them have a touch of the sea. Um, It's it's wild to me. I mean, and but I guess. Um, I guess we found a new way to be pretentious about literature that has nothing to do with the words. It was good because we ran out of ways. Yeah, with because the words before, themselves. Yeah. I mean, I know when the ebooks came on the scene, right? Everyone was like, "Well, then you can't hold it, and then it doesn't smell like a book." I'm thinking of the. I'm thinking of how mad people are at me about the audiobooks thing, and I've just, <laughs> and I've decided my new layer of that argument is going to be, "Well, you can't smell the audiobook. The audiobook doesn't smell like rusk biscuits." <laughs> Well, okay. And it's so, not. It's not reading if it doesn't smell like rusk biscuits. So at the beginning of of this whole new technological way to yeah. read books, yeah. it was always just the smell of old books. Mm-hmm. But now apparently there's a scent wheel. So <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but there is a tasting wheel of all of the like appropriate terminologies and how they like connect to one another for wine, this. but also for beer. So like, are you a wine taster? I am not a wine taster, but here's what I do have. Uh I have a little pocket 
like beer tasting book and it has one of those wheels and you rate mm-hmm. it like goes out in a target and then the ones on the outside are the ones that are the least multi or whatever mm-hmm. or least hoppy yeah. or whatever <laughs> and then the more you go in that's how much they are and so you you rate all of the different aspects of it and then you connect the dots like a spider web wow yeah that sounds like the least pleasurable way to drink a beer i was super into it for about three months and then i realized that i spent more time filling out this goddamn book than i spent drinking the beer (laughs) what beer drinking was missing was paperwork (laughs) but uh, yeah so i stopped doing it but that's what they're doing for books and my favorite thing is that they're using how books smell like uh like people who work in old antique papers and you know like historians and whatever they're using how books smell to figure out when they were made and by who it looks like and by who yeah like some italy apparently smells different than britain i like the idea of being able to identify publishers by their scents like "Mm, this one smells like dirty shit (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely you know i mean i I don't want to say a publisher here i would hate to insult somebody uh, we'll save the insulting for the next segment um but <laughs> it would be f- i'm picturing like people going on like the equivalent of like wine tasting tours or they're, like going to libraries or like bookstores or something like a group of like middle-aged women who are like on vacation and like mm, yes it's like in a little row like in the whatever <laughs> section <laughs> and, and like i wonder yeah. what it'd be like to to you know how they have like wine tasting for wines around the world mm-hmm. where they take yeah. you to like you know, Portugal and it, Italian wines and French wines yeah. and whatever. I wonder if they do that for books. And there's like one dude, you know, in in line who's just like totally making shit up. He's like, and mm, he's yes, just, he's just yes, trying yes, to I get smell the chocolatey notes, and everyone's like, "Fuck you, Gary." <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Gary! <laughs> You're always doing that. Um, and they're just trying to get like high on the on the yeah on the smells. <laughs> so yeah, this article ends um, with another quote here, and we've got. This is not just about the composition of smell itself, but about human sensibility. Scent insensibility. Yeah, very nice line. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> By reconstructing the smell and assessing the human reaction to it, we will be able to work out what it is that we want to preserve. What? Well, that's great because when I think of uh, the criteria for books we should be preserving, the first thing I definitely think of is how they smell. Um, so that's good. I mean, forget what's in them. Forget... Anything else? I want my who owned books. them. I think or that we need who to re- they're signed by. Yeah, no, I, I think we need to reset the literary canon and base it on which books smell like biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really uh, sad. I forgot my cookie in my car at this point. We keep talking about cookies. Yeah, it's, that's actually a real tragedy. We were supposed to have this giant cookie that Laura bought. It had peanut butter cups and, inside the cookie. It was that big. Anyway, she left it, and now this episode. And is now ruined. we're talking about cookies. <laughs> Damn it. Um. Anyway, so. Bring us to the next thing. Well, so as a big shock to everybody mm-hmm. to maybe com- combat the the end of publishing as we know it, uh-huh. the, the Pulitzer Prize was awarded yeah. this week. Yeah, it was. And you watched the live cast. I didn't. I didn't watch you the didn't, live cast. You lied to me? <laughs> I know. I couldn't, br- <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to watch um, a grainy video footage of someone saying, uh, Colson Whitehead, like... <laughs> Uh, it felt like that was going to be pretty straightforward, and that is, in fact, what happened. Uh, the Underground Railroad won again. Surprise. Yeah. Didn't it um, just win the National Book Award it and it's it did. everything else? It deserves to win all the awards this year, I think. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, it was good. Let's look at um, just in terms of fiction here. Um, we've got it pulled up. Let's see. Here we go. Um, so other books that were the finalists. We have 
Imagine Me Gone by Adam Haslett, published by Little Brown, um, and The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan, uh, published by FSG. Have you heard of either of those books? I haven't. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad you do. Yeah, no, I've never, I haven't I haven't read either of those. I think um, I might have heard of Imagine Me Gone, but I'm also yeah. not sure if it's about or if it's um, if I've actually heard of it or if I think I've just heard of it because it's got a short, quippy yeah. title with the word gone in it, uh-huh. which well, every, is super yeah. big right now. <laughs> yeah, every book has all the girls who are gone and on fire in the city, right? It's like every book. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Underground Railroad won, and I am I'm happy about that. You read it too, right? I did read it yeah. too. Yeah. Well, I listened to it oh. on audio. Oh. Well, yeah. Here we go again. But the the person um, who narrated it was one of my favorites, yeah. who's Bonnie Turpin, uh-huh. and she was lovely. Oh, interesting. Yeah. She also did. Um, a Nicola Yoon, but it doesn't. Mm. We don't need to talk about Bonnie Turpin. Sure. Other than the fact that she's good at reading <laughs> out loud, better than me. So I, so the Underground Railroad has now won a bunch of awards, and we've talked about it on the show a bunch of times. But like, I think you and I agreed that it was a pretty good book that, and it deserves all the accolades it's getting. But it's not necessarily the most like earth-shattering thing you've ever read in your life. It's also not kinda... Colson Whitehead's best book. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I've yeah. only I've read three books by him. I've mm-hmm. read The Underground Railroad. Yeah. I'm actually currently reading Zone 1. Mm-hmm. And I've read The Intuitionist. Mm-hmm. And I think The Intuitionist is by far his best book. Yeah. And I think I The Intuition The one. Intuitionist won something. It won something <laughs> at some yeah. point. It, it, I mean it's old. Well, it's so from it's, the 90s. I feel like so I feel like it's somewhat um, obviously the book is is competent and well done. Um, there's also a certain amount of right place and right time um, with this book, right? Yeah. Like it's kind of the perfect book for the moment, and I think that there's a um, there's something really to that. Um, you can't that, overlook the importance <laughs> of a of a good book at the perfect. No, time. I don't overlook. I think it's crucial, and I think it's really interesting because you get these books that sort of capture a national mood or a particular conversation in history. I think that's a big reason why the sellout um, did such a, you know, good job this year in terms of awards. But, um, no, it's interesting. And, and I think that when we think of, like, literary history and when we think of um, how books relate to the world around us, um, awards are often really instructive because you can see um, what won and why in what era. And I think that uh, if for no other reason um, the Underground Railroad will be – a Certainly, an interesting thing to look at um, yeah. in years to come. In that regard, that it won in it won the twenty seventeen National Book Award and the, I guess the twenty or the twenty seventeen Pulitzer and the twenty sixteen National Book Award. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I you know I I think it's a it's a good book. It's a book worth reading. I think the reason that I'm not obsessed with it mm-hmm. is the same is 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 the same as the blurb that they put on. The Pulitzer.org website, which is um, the winner of this is the Underground Railroad for a smart melding of realism and allegory that combines the violence of slavery and the drama of escape in a myth that speaks to contemporary America. I think a big reason it won is because it's the myth that speaks to contemporary America. Mm. Um, I think the reason it's not my favorite Colson Whitehead is because he is so good at at weird speculative subtlety and yeah. i think it's the allegory like i think he's he's used to being on More the subtle. weird yeah. subtle speculative right. side rather than like hey look this is this big allegory <laughs> about an actual train yeah. it's just such a huge 
image, you know? Yeah. Um, so it almost has to be allegory. That's yeah. It's interesting. Um, did you read anything else on this Pulitzer list this year? I haven't even heard of anything else on this <laughs> on this list. So I read, I'm looking at here, I also read on one of the uh, finalists for biography or autobiography, I read uh, When Breath Becomes Air by uh, Paul Kalanithi, um, which is this book. Um, people probably know it. It sold a bazillion copies, but... Um, it's by people the, who aren't me, right? Yeah. It's by this. It's by this doctor who dies in the middle of writing this book, right? So it's like he gets cancer, and it's him kind of ruminating on medicine and life. Oh, um, you talked to me up about until that book. Yeah. the moment that he passes away, and then um, his wife, I think, is the one who like writes the epilogue and says, "This is what, how it ended." Um, but it's pretty good. Um, it's I think that's another book that um, won, or it was I guess it didn't win, but it got recognition here because of it's like situation and circumstance like it's a really interesting concept and I think there's something really powerful but it's not like um, you know this guy was a doctor more than he was a writer you know um, but it was um, really powerful to read and really um, a memorable thing to kind of go through as you watch this guy who um, you know I mean there's always something interesting to hear doctors talk about getting diseases and things because they have certainly an interesting way of looking at it but um, anyway, that was the other one I read that I feel is worth recognition on this show. Well, there but. you go. Recommendation <laughs> from Eric Hain. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to end the segment with just a call to uh, the Pulitzer that I would maybe like to see a few more things awarded to the the book side of things because they've got all sorts of reporting sub yeah. subgenres, which, like, good for them. That deserves it. It totally deserves yeah. it. But, like, we need more than just – general nonfiction yeah, and that's fiction. A good, that's a good point. Just um, saying. Do you think that relates at all to what we were talking about a few weeks ago? And we're going to kind of get into this, I think, in a minute um, in our next discussion. But um, the quote-unquote level of seriousness of certain um, perceived genres of literature, like I feel like all these reporting things, you know, they get broken up into all these categories because the powers that be think um, – well, these all these categories are worthy of a Pulitzer, whereas maybe they don't view every single division of nonfiction or every single division of fiction um, as worthy of their own category of Pulitzer. And maybe I, think, I mean, um, if you look <clears throat> at it, the t- there are two subsections of Pulitzers, right? There's journalism, uh-huh. and then there is letters, drama, and music. And books are rolled into that. Books yeah. are. I don't even know, like letters. Like, does that mean letters? Let that's just letters a pretentious is way to say the book. Most pretentious word in the English language. <laughs> no one says letters and isn't just a total asshole. Besides, like a kindergartner or like, like somebody, <laughs> somebody who is like awarding a doctorate of letters yeah. to the to yeah. the you know to the commencement speaker at a college. Right. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's just a very like no one just says letters. Yeah, Pulitzer. Like, <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, so anyway, I, I just, like, it's weird that there's one thing for music, all of music. Yeah. There's one thing for drama. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's a couple book things. There's right. poetry, nonfiction, biography, history, and fiction. Yeah. So five out of all of the books. Anyway, that's that's how I feel. Well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> that's how I feel. Perfectly good. I, t- I think that I agree, having thought about it for about 13 seconds now. Um, well, good. But- <laughs> Come to print run for the hot exactly. takes. Exactly. Um, so, what's next? Well, us being angry about things well, that's, is that's what's usual, next. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I last week uh-huh. you were in Colorado. I was your home state. I was. 
Uh, and I was in the Twin Cities doing fun things. Mm-hmm. So and You went to a thing. I did that go to a thing. I could not it just always happens that way the the coolest the, a great way to know when awesome literary events are happening in the twin cities is to just look at my travel schedule and you'll be <laughs> able to just like identify when every great worthwhile author is here talking but who who did you see that's Laura? the same thing for me in weddings mm. but mine is actually good and yours is kind of just sad <laughs> um <laughs> so the loft literary center which is our local literary center uh-huh. in the twin cities but it's nationally recognized uh-huh. um in conjunction with the minnesota book publishers roundtable which is a nonprofit mm. organization for yeah. our local publishing community anyway they put on in conjunction a event yeah that was Marlon James. You've heard him talk about, or you've heard us talk about him on this mm-hmm. before. He, um, Jamaican author, author of the Man Booker Award winning Brief History of Seven Killings. Go read it. Yep, yep. So he's local to the Twin Cities currently. Mm-hmm. He teaches at McAllister College. Mm-hmm. He's around all over the place. Um, we awkwardly run into each other all the time, and we still, like, he still doesn't recognize me one <laughs> bit, which I, like, honestly, the day Marlon James starts to recognize me is the day that I just yeah. close up shop. Um, <laughs> so Marlon James was in conversation with Lisa Lucas, mm-hmm. who is the executive director of the National Book Foundation. Okay. Um, so they basically were wonderful for 90 minutes. They sat on a stage and they talked and the, the overarching conversation was, can books make a damn bit of difference? Mostly focusing on fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so they talked about lots of things, including Marlon James saying that audiobooks count as reading, mm-hmm. which is something that I know. I never said they don't <laughs> count. As, no, 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 no. We're stop. We're changing. Okay, total okay. We are. I never said they didn't count as reading. I never you just said, said they, they were different. I never said it didn't count. I didn't say it was in a terrific way to consume a book. I said that the act of listening is a different thing than the act of reading, which I agree with. <laughs> it has nothing to do with one being better than the other. They're different verbs. They are. They're literally different. For okay. Anyway, anyway, moving on. So they talked I'm about tired a lot of, of things. Yelled at about that. So, so we talked about a lot of things. Um, they talked about a lot of things. I just sat there and listened mm-hmm. and took copious notes on my phone, which probably my neighbors thought was very rude. Mm-hmm. But it was important because we're turning a lot of these things into jumping off points for discussions on the show. One of the things. Being, you know, I I think they talked a lot about um, what it means to, you know, rolled in with do books make a difference? Do books matter? Does literature matter? Uh Was rolled in with the importance of critically engaging with text. Yes. Which brings us to the best way to critically engage. Mm -hmm. Hate reading. Hate reading. Hate reading. Well, so I think, uh, okay, so obviously hate reading is not the best way to critically engage with a text. But what that does speak to is, I think, a problem that you and I have identified um, multiple times to each other. I think maybe once or twice on this show. But um, just the overly and strangely sort of sugary positivity that sort of runs through book publishing um, at what I feel is sort of at the expense of – actual honest engagement and reading and sort of discussion about these books. Explain what you mean by sugary positivity. I mean that every single you in the book discussion today whether it's online or most and even in reviews like I feel like most you know major review outlets you know you're only going to run a review really um, if it's 
at least some. I mean, how many more? How many scathing reviews out there are there really? Like, not that there are some, and some publications can kind of do it, but mostly every review is positive. Does the New York Times write a bad book review? Yeah, do they do I mean, that? They do okay. some, but like a reviewer wants to review a book when they like it. You know, when they connect with it. Like, if you think about people who like freelance and write book reviews, they're usually doing it because the book has them fired up and they want to write about it, right? Which is great. But I guess, and I guess, getting away from that. Um, we only ever talk about books in a positive light. All um, so most social media discussion around books, um, apart from when one is like problematic in the acquisitions phase, which happens a lot now. Um, but like people love to be positive about books online, and I think that there's something to it where we lose the ability to really talk about good books because when every book is good, how do we know which ones are actually good, and how do we know? which ones maybe could have been pushed further and how do we on, have an honest critical discussion you know like you would um i don't know like when you were reading in college you know you hate, i feel like people hated books all the time when they read in college and then they got into the, like the book publishing world or something and suddenly every single thing became awesome and <laughs> it's i don't know like you, do you see what i'm saying though it's yeah so i think i think a, you know a good way to start by this is to really lay out what it means so we understand what it means to be critical of a book in an English class what okay so what does right? it mean so so that is picking apart all of the aspects uh-huh. you know plot character theme yeah language etc and assessing what they are achieving whether that you know, I don't want to get too much into authorial intention, but like whether it was supposed to be achieving that and also um, whether it was effective. And just coming up with a nuanced picture exactly. of what a book is and what it's done and what it isn't. So that that's like criticism in class, right? Yeah. Criticism when you're reading for pleasure uh-huh. is that maybe not quite to the same level, but it also brings in a really big emotional component, which Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily present Mm -hmm. in the classroom. And I I think, you know, you know, Marlon James and Lisa Lucas, they were talking about physically throwing books (laughs) across the room because you're reading it and you were upset. And like, I have personally done that. Yeah. I think only just the once. Which, which book did you throw across? Outlander. Mm. Yeah. Which I've already yelled about yeah. on this show, so I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to yell about a different book later. Yeah. Um, but I, I think people are getting away from what it means to be critical of a book. Like at this point, I get asked a lot, you know, oh, do you have any suggestions for what I should read? Uh-huh. And I'd never, I mean, I shouldn't say I never, but I admittedly don't engage critically with books that I read for fun nearly as much because I engage critically with books yeah, I mean, for my gotta, job, you right? You kind of want to turn your brain off. And right. I think so, that that's, a, that's probably a part of it, right? It's like people read for fun. People write for fun And you can set, and maybe one difference between reading when with a critical eye and reading with an enjoyment eye, and we've got a kind of this, this dichotomy set up um, where it's, you know, criticism versus enjoyment is you can tap out on a book anytime you want when you're reading it for fun. As soon as you don't like it, um, you can move on and you can re- just set it down and read the next thing and totally forget about it. Um, and that's great. That's the whole point of having a reading life. But um, it does tend to mean that we only spend time on things we like and we don't necessarily engage with the things that we don't like. And it's sort of, I think, I think it shallows out the, the book conversation a little bit. And yeah. um, when I think of, like, critical attention on stuff, um, 
you know, books are only going to have an impact in the manner that I think that, um, you know, Marlon James would want them to if we're talking about them honestly and sincerely and talking about all of them in a way that really that, that has like a balanced scale where good is good and bad is bad. And obviously good and bad aren't really the right words for the, the end of that spectrum. But like you see what I'm saying, like yeah. positive feeling and negative feeling. Um, I just think that there's a certain amount of authenticity that kind of gets thrown by the wayside when no one ever wants to say anything negative about any books. Yeah. I, I, I mean, so I get asked what I should read all yeah. the time, which is funny because like I'm years behind on what's right. current. Right. 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 Um, it's like I can tell you to read my author's books. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, and I have been noticing more and more. So I'm, I'm doing this new thing where I'm keeping a list of all the books that I read this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going a lot better. Sure. <laughs> it's going less sure. less well now. Uh, but every time somebody asks, I go, oh, hold on a moment. And I pull up my list. And I realized this week when somebody asked me that, they're like, I need a new book to read. And I was going through this list of all the books I read that I didn't want to recommend a single one of them. Yeah. And, or I, you know, yeah. maybe I only wanted to recommend one of them. Well, so that's really interesting because was, that's where, that's where my critical engagement starts now. Cause I wanted to go, well, why do I not want to recommend this book? Right. And it makes you think, okay, well, what is it? Like, this is the, this is the question. Maybe what is it that I didn't like about it after the fact of already having finished it or set it down? Like the fact of you writing down the books you've read is really interesting because it makes you go back and re-engage with something that you might not have otherwise and suddenly you're having kind of a new conversation with yourself, right? You're talking about, um, you know, you're trying to parse out in your own brain what it is that made a book fall flat to you, even if, as you didn't realize it at the time. Because I imagine, and you correct me if I'm wrong, um, as you were reading, you know, right when you finish a book, it's kind of hard to know what you truly think of it, you know, because yeah. like maybe there's a dramatic ending or something and maybe you hated the ending, um, you know. Ending a book is sort of an emotional experience one way or the other. It's incredibly often, emotional. You know? And so it's hard to judge what you thought of it overall until you've had some space from it. And But what happens when you get space from it is you rarely come back to it. You know, like you use that space to go read other things and you sort of just set it down. I never reread books. Like never? I'm definitely guilty of this. I yeah. don't anymore. I used to um, when I was a child yeah. all the time. Um, so it's interesting, the idea of going back. And I think that going back is a job that – more people should be doing, ourselves included, um, because I think there's really interesting and new conversations to be had there. Um, you also engage with your reading in a way that I don't. And so? I think it has to do with the fact that you are a very intentional reader and I'm a binger. Okay, so what do you mean by so, that? So when we talk about our reading lives, yeah, um, like you read The Sellout with a friend, yeah. And you you engaged with this friend while you were reading this book. You've mm-hmm. also said to me multiple times that you are a slow, deliberate reader. You like to savor it on the page. You like to you like to take your time with a book. Yeah. Right? I just rip through it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you might be doing more engagement in the moment with the actual text. I feel like when you're in the middle of a book, you have a better sense of whether you like the book. Whereas yeah, I have no idea. That's probably that might be true, but I'm not sure that that's better, um, because I do think that there's a certain amount. Because what I'm doing, I think, is wrecking pacing, in a way that maybe you aren't. Like when you read something faster and mm. straight through, you're reading true to the pacing that an author may have given you, 
you know, because it's just kind of flowing how you want. But when you're like me and you're constantly stopping and starting, it probably does change the reading experience. Yeah, um, I something. guess that's a So good it point. does make me um, – I might be like sitting around and like, you know, thinking about, you know, a page a little bit more. But that also means that I'm reading a little bit more. It's like It's like when we do our query show. Or our first page show, right? Like we spend how many minutes on that first page and what do we always say? We say that we're, um, you know, we're reading way more carefully than anyone actually will be reading this page. And I wonder if there's not something that too, because you end up making something in, you know, you critiquing it more than is natural, you know? Yeah. And, but um, so <laughs> um, we were talking about this and we were talking about books. Okay. So we ended up at a point where you and I tried to identify a recent book that maybe everyone else thought was good. Or it didn't even matter that, if everyone else thought yeah, it was yeah, good. It was just a book that a, we read that recently we didn't like. that we didn't and like. And before we got to ours, you <laughs> you went online. I always you, go online. <laughs> I always go. N- never log off. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and you asked. Okay, so you, I you didn't, just, no context. Yeah, I didn't yeah, ask yeah. anybody. I didn't tell anyone it was for the show or anything. I just said... Well, you just asked, did anyone, like, or name a book that you disliked, I think, was, was something yeah. basically. Like the that. last one that yeah, you disliked. Yeah, the last disliked. one that you really disliked. And it threw people for a loop. It made people nuts. It did. It and was, like, the, the, <laughs> the most existential question a writer can be asked. And so, I and I think, okay, and that actually touches on something interesting, because I was looking through the replies of it, and I would say about half the people had a very specific answer of a book they didn't like, and they thought, okay, this book, you know, they had a, re- they named it, and they had a reason and that was it was very kind of clear cut and specific and the other half were writers <laughs> <laughs> and the writers responding to this question were really really and this is kind of i think where the brunt of where we're trying to get with this the writers were really 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 hesitant to do i mean they they even used the term naming names right they're like <laughs> well i don't want to name names or like one person said that's a da- that's a dangerous question to ask a writer and I found that response so interesting because it does sort of speak to this idea of solidarity between anyone who is trying to write books and this total hesitancy to critique anyone else's work and do anything other than support it. And on the one hand, you get it, right? Because like writers are all trying to make it. They're trying to, um, you, you shouldn't know. shouldn't be an asshole to your fellow writers because exactly. it's hard. And, and you shouldn't, by the way. That's not what we're saying. That's great. Um, but it was interesting that no one wanted to – I mean they talked about it like they were snitching. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it was – my favorite was that a lot of the time, you know, some people just refused to answer it and they told me why. Yeah. Some other people said, well, I won't say it, what it is, but it was a New York Times best-selling urban fantasy yeah. that I didn't like because of this. And it's right. like – if it's a New York Times bestselling urban fantasy, this author is just like this author is not going to be not care upset. Critiquing them, yeah. It's not like you're picking on. It's not like you're picking on someone who. It's not like you're picking on somebody in your critique group. Yeah, like you can't exactly. say writing is bad in your critique group, right? You can't say well, that you a story. Can maybe I, after a certain buildup of trust, but like right. I get what you're saying. But you can say yeah. like this page isn't good writing, right, but you right. can't be like you're a bad. Like this is a bad work. You are a bad writer. It's yeah. like here, let's make this better. Yeah. Right. But I feel like, you know, we're always. Kind of, I, I think we're creating this dichotomy of criticism and enjoyment, and writing a critical review and writing a nasty review. And that's the thing. And I think you're totally right. And I think that the, those two things get conflated way too much. 
to have an opinion, to think, let me put it this way, to engage critically with a book and maybe say that you didn't like it is not necessarily a negative thing to do. I can think of a lot of books that like weren't for me that were probably still good books. And I think there's something really interesting in that conversation. And were I asked to, you know, write about those books, I would probably, you know, I would come down on the side that maybe I didn't like it, but I could, you'd probably end up in a place where maybe someone else would. And that feels like the sort of honest engagement where you realize that, you, you know, you're not the only reader of this book and maybe someone else could like it. And that sort of review is much better and I think different than someone who's just like trashing a book in an Amazon consumer review. You know what I mean? Like not all quote unquote negative reviews are counterproductive to a book's success, I wonder. You know? And well, if you if you look at, you know, back in the day. Yeah. You know, famous writers hated each other. They yeah. would actually pan each other's writing yeah. in public forums. Right. You know, they would write it into news articles yeah. and they would they would, yeah. you know, write reviews of each other's works. And you know, like when we're talking about people that we look to, like we're talking about Faulkner and we're talking mm-hmm. about Hemingway and mm-hmm. we're talking about Fitzgerald and we're talking about uh, like literally yeah. everyone. Yeah, people got mad at each other and they said so. And it was it felt like a, an era of um, you know, critical engagement. So my question to you is, <laughs> yeah. do you think that the online troll-type culture has to do with people's reticence to be negative about a book? Well, so, okay, so what do you mean by that? So a, a lot of where people post reviews and uh-huh. do, like, not, there aren't a lot of column inches in newspapers yeah. for people yeah. writing about books, yeah. especially not, you know, somebody writing in to, you know, Lori Herzl at Star Tribune yeah. saying like, oh, I didn't like this book. Right. You know, like right. they're they're not going to be heard there. Where where are they going to write their books? Well, they're going to write their books on Goodreads the reviews and yeah. and on Amazon and uh-huh. all of these places where they don't have to have the real name. And it's so, where. Yeah. No, I definitely. So I see what you're saying. I definitely think that that is counterproductive to where we want all this to go. And I can see why writers, when and this is what I was talking about earlier with people kind of lumping these two things in together, um, is because that is enti- that's incredibly prevalent, right? This idea of you don't have to put your name on it. You don't even have to read it in good faith. You don't have to be intellectually honest. So I'm just going to be nasty. You can just be nasty. And it, it's, like, it's like Twitter. It's like any other online platform, right? Like you can just be an ass. And there's no repercussions. You can give something zero stars on Amazon. You can give something zero stars on Goodreads. You know, you can go in and just be a troll, like you're saying, you know, and do things in bad faith. And um, I wonder if the sensitivity to that in the question you asked, that sort of came into stark relief, right? Like you have the people who were maybe readers ahead of their role as being a writer as opposed to being a writer ahead of your role as a reader. And the responses are really different. Writers, I think, really, really dread the idea of being read in bad faith and being, um, you know, panned in a review that didn't even engage with the work in an honest way. And that's very valid. Like, that sucks. Um, but I mean, I even get hurt and yeah, weepy yeah. when I read one of my authors. Like, of and I don't, I haven't written any of these. Of course. These. And I think so, you know, when we talk about like, um, you know, the modern state of like, you know, critiquing, you know, books and kind of the public sphere. Um, it's this is it's definitely a factor. I think there's another factor, yeah. too, though, yeah. that like on top of people being anonymous online, mm-hmm. there's also this idea that 
publishing is hard uh-huh. and publishing as a business is good and yeah. People who write books are fighting the good fight, and it's awful, and it's hard, and they're still doing it. And so how dare we say something bad about it? Yeah, all writers are noble pursuers of an impossible goal. Which, sure, they can be, and Uh, also write books that aren't good. Yeah, lots of them are. (laughs) (laughs) That's... uh, Yeah, no, I I get that. So, And with that dynamic comes this idea that um, to criticize an author's work is to somehow criticize their endeavor in trying to produce it, you know? That's a good distinction. And I think those are separate things. And I think that I could say that I don't like a book and have that not mean that author should have never written it or that author didn't do a admirable job of putting it together or that there is Or that it's not worthy. Exactly. Like there's a lot of ways you can engage with this stuff. Um, And so – but this this hesitancy I found so interesting. I think you did too. This like, oh, man, we can't critique books. We can't say anything negative. Um, or now that I'm a writer, I don't think that any books are bad. It's like, that is bullshit. <laughs> exactly. As soon as you become someone who wants to publish a book yourself, suddenly no book can ever publicly be called bad, um, which is silly. And it's also disingenuous because there are plenty of books that people feel perfectly fine criticizing, right? Yes. Yeah. Mostly. I mean, the two big that immediately come to mind, yeah. at least for me, are Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh-huh. And that, like... You know, people. You can say whatever you want. Like nobody, those are easy punching bags. So, yeah. So nobody has ever asked me how I feel about a book, mm-hmm. except for Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. In right. in a professional agent yeah. context, yeah. people at conferences will always be like, "Oh, well, what do you think about Fifty Shades of Grey?" It's and like it's this like, signifier, it's, right? Yes. And. Yeah, it's just so silly, but like it does kind of speak to this idea that it's not as though we think all books are good. Like, like no one actually thinks that. As much as anyone wants to pretend that they're like you know going to stay away from saying anything negative, that's not true. You just have a certain set of standards. Why do you think that? Why Why do you think that Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey are okay to pan and nothing else is? Or not? I shouldn't say nothing, but very few other things are. Okay, so I think it's a mixture of a couple things. Um, The first is um, success. I, and I Say think, more about that. I think that when a book hits a certain level of success that is deemed safe, like a book is suddenly becomes impregnant. Like there's this view, right, layered in with this idea that you saying something negative is harmful is to a book is this idea that were you to say something negative about a book, it would harm the book, that you have power to harm this book, right? And when a book gets so successful that it sells a, you know, a million copies or something – that feeling that you somehow have power over this book's outcome and you know success is diminished. It goes away, and mm-hmm. it was probably it probably shouldn't have been there in the first place, right? <laughs> but like, but like, it becomes clear that um, you you don't have much sway anymore over this book's chances at success because it's already achieved it. So you feel a little more comfortable saying something bad about it. And I think that's I mean that's fine. I think that's also true when a book isn't necessarily successful yet, but. Um, what else? So that's and the other bit. I think is it kind of, kind of comes down to what we were talking about the other the other day that there are some genres and some types of books that authors feel are more sacred than others, and I think that whatever you think about Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, um, they're books that a lot of people um, don't take seriously, right? Yeah. They're books that you can um, you can point at and use as oh man how commercial everyone's tastes are. Let these you know charlatans who you know, would read this drivel. 
Um, it's Twilight. Exactly. Is, it was, you, was thought of in a dream. Exactly. You can like use it as yeah. you can use it as this tool of sounding more sophisticated than it. And <laughs> um, I don't know. It, and it's also there's always that you know idea that any like, it's like music reviews or something, right? Like when a band gets super super big, like you want to be a hipster thing, all the, of a sudden. The thing is to criticize it, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, there is a, there is, but there is it is more complex though than. Um, I'm an author, and I don't want to critique books. Um, and I, I think that I think it's your responsibility as an author to critique books because I think that you critiquing other people's works and critically engaging with their text yeah. and being honest with yourself about it will make you a better writer. Well, if that, well, so uh, yeah, no, and, that, and that's the thing is all these writers I would assume are doing this with themselves. Like every every writer, I would hope his or her salt has. Um, you know, they have books they really like and books they didn't like, and hopefully they're thinking about why it is um, that either is true. Um, but the idea of that, not bringing that to the light and having that conversation with others and trying to, um, you know, that's how we change, that's how we progress a conversation, you know. And I, publishing doesn't get better by all of us <laughs> thinking quietly that we don't like a book and then talking and, about how it's good. And publishing isn't inherently noble either. You know what I mean? Like a lot of shit gets out there. And a lot of, you know, like the idea of putting a book out into the world is not a, um, it's not a good act in and of itself. Like it's not, all, maybe that's unpopular to say, but like, um, just like think, think about it as just a human activity. The idea of broadcasting an idea doesn't mean the idea automatically has merit, you know, and the same kind of goes for art. And um, I just think that we could really get somewhere more with a critical discussion if not that all of a sudden we should all start trashing each other. So that's not at all what we're saying. But just like sometimes there are bad books and sometimes maybe we sh- – it, like, It's okay to be negatively critical without trashing Think people. about movies. People have no problem trashing quote-unquote highbrow movies. People have no problem doing this stuff with other forms of art, right? But books have this like unique emotional armor to them that make everyone really scared to criticize them. Um, so I want to name names. <laughs> we should, since we've asked others to, uh, give me a, <laughs> give me a book that you disliked in recent years. The last book that I have read and actively disliked rather than being just very like, meh yeah, about it, sure. um, is a book that was recommended to me by many people who I love and respect. Uh-huh. It is also a book. Will that you still love and respect them after you tell us this book, or have you cut yeah, them out of your no, life because no, they recommended no, a bad book? No, I still love and respect them, and yeah. actually, they have recommended <laughs> since very, very good yeah. books that I have enjoyed quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um, so this book is winner of the Nebula Award, which, if you're not big in science fiction and fantasy, that's like the Pulitzer mm-hmm. for science fiction and fantasy. If only there was a real Pulitzer for science fiction, see, and fantasy, right. I don't think anybody at Pulitzer is listening yeah. to us, but they should. If, if um, you're listening, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so it won the Nebula. It was a finalist for a Hugo, which uh-huh. is a less, I don't, I don't know, everybody gets a Hugo. Um, <laughs> wow. Everybody good eventually gets a Hugo. That's all I'm saying. Ooh, There's just a lot man. of categories, unlike all the right. Pulitzer. Okay. Okay. There's like one for the Nebula and the yeah, y- whatever. Um and then it was also a New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. This book is Uprooted by Naomi Novik. Mm-hmm. It is a fantasy novel that's very reminiscent of, you know, kind of older 80s 
style fantasies, like mythological yeah. type. Um, it's based on Ruthen, Ru- Ru- Russian mythology. Um, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Yeah. I thought that the main character didn't have a lot going on. She So basically she's just this like super special young girl who gets taken away to this tower by the dragon who's actually just a magician and he's just called the dragon, mm-hmm. which was a disappointment, let me tell you. Yeah. I was hoping there would be a real <laughs> dragon. Um, I'm continually hoping it's going to be a real dragon. Every time I, I see the always dragon. want it yeah. to be a real dragon. Um, and basically she's just like slow and like a little bit dumb and she's always like dirty and it's basically like all of these like lady cliches like she's always like falling and stuff and then like it turns out that that's like kind of like part of her magic is that she's got like this natural magic and so like dirt is always like come whatever yeah but like it was poorly it was poorly executed and the dragon is supposed to be like this sexy broody guy Mm -hmm. right but he's actually just really obnoxious and abusive. And I think feel like the pacing mm. was off and it wasn't as scary as it was supposed to be. And it right. wasn't as magical it was as, as it was supposed to be. Uh-huh. And I just felt like it missed the mark. Okay. Because I – and I also – after I read this, I was like maybe I just don't like – Russian based literature, right? Because you gotta you gotta be a certain way to like really like the Russians. I feel like the Russians made some good literature, Laura. Yeah, but you gotta like be <laughs> a certain way to really sure. love the Russians versus just like appreciate the Russians. Okay. You know what I'm okay. saying? Sure. But then I read The Bear and the Nightingale. Uh-huh. And then I read the, you know, the Grisha books. Uh-huh. And I was like, these are really good. I just don't like Uprooted. Okay. I thought it was poorly done. Fair enough. Um, what don't you like? So I had one that came to mind immediately when we started having this conversation. Um, this book is um, quite famous. It won the it won the Pulitzer Prize in 2015. Did it? It's a recent winner. Mm. It was a National Book Award finalist that same year, so it almost had the sort of award run that uh, the Underground Railroad had. Um, and this is um, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, um, which... I just thought it was flat from start to finish. What do you mean by that? And I, what I mean by that is, or I guess flat maybe is the wrong word, but what I mean is that it took every easy, gratuitous opportunity for emotion that there was. Mm. It's about, it's set during the Holocaust. It's about a blind girl. It's a, got like this search for diamonds. So it's like all this like stuff, like that. it just leans on this setting to be really sad, right? And it is really sad, the setting and stuff, but it's like that's not... The act, that's not the ability of the storyteller that's making this book that's sad. That's just the Holocaust. Like you could, yeah, exactly. You're just make you're just using this horrible, um, you know, historical setting and this very sad, you know, circumstance of this, you know, this girl's life to just like tear jerk me, you know. Mm. And I don't know. Like you look at some of the reviews. I'm looking at the Amazon page right now, and it's like. Um, you know, all the blurbs are like incredible sense of physical detail and gorgeous metaphors or like whose sentences are really good. And it's like, yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it is that it's a really, really pretty book that doesn't do anything. It's like pretty emotion porn. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, okay. honestly, like that's kind of how I would put it. And like it does, it does have a story and it's got this like diamond heist and all this stuff. But See, like, that sounds exciting. But, and, well, it is kind of exciting, but it's exciting because a di- it's exciting because diamond heists are exciting. You know what I mean? Like it's not exciting because that diamond heist to me 
was particularly like well told or it felt like he just like spun the wheel on every single like what's the most where's like the saddest place I could set this check what's the most sad character I could have for this check what's the what, most exciting what's the most action. exciting action plot I could have check and you just kind of stuff it all together and like it's bound to elicit some response because you've picked every single most extreme end of everything but it could have been better it could have been better I just because it just it spent too much time trying to make me cry instead of writing I don't know like so I, I didn't love it, but lots of you know lots of other people did. I, a lot of people. I remember I bought it because everyone was recommending it, right? Because I mean it had just won. It was everywhere. You couldn't walk into a bookstore without it being um, on every front table. Um, and Anthony George is a good writer, by the way. I do like some of his other you know shorter stuff. Um, but I just, this this particular one, it did, it didn't land for me. And I think that. Um, at least in terms for me, it was instructive to read this kind of thing that I didn't like because it got me away from um, using like jacket copy plot synopsis yeah. to think that a, to judge whether or not you're going to like something. You I know? think that there's something really special about disliking a book that everybody else is loving. Like I feel like at that point, you know, you yeah. really understand because because pri- reading is such a private act. Yeah, and recommendation is just a a trumpeting of like it's kind of virtue signaling in that way like hey look I read this book and it's very good and everybody else likes it right and I feel like when those two things meet you become aware of just how different people are Uh and just how many stories they're out there when you when you don't quite find the one that's meant for you yeah and I feel like it's really exciting when you read something and you don't like it and everybody else does, you have to ask yourself why. Like, that's yep. when you absolutely are forced to critically engage with a book. Yeah. And I I think that that's exciting. It is exciting. And I think, but I think that that idea of signaling that you just talked about, that happens the other way, too. I think the signaling part and that kind of crowdsourced, is a book good or bad, is what gives people um, the leeway in their own minds to criticize something. Like, the reason now people think it's okay to say bad things about Twilight is because they've heard enough other people say bad things about Twilight that they know there's not going to be any repercussion. Right? I wonder they, who the first person was you know that what I mean? just shat on well, you Twilight. Know what I mean. But you see what I'm yeah. saying. Like, it's yeah. not an unpopular opinion to hate these things. It's yeah. not an unpopular opinion to say that you know you don't like Jonathan Franzen's books. It's not an unpopular opinion to say that you think um, Infinite Jest is um, the most annoying thing a person could be reading. You know what I mean? Like there are certain literary, there are certain negative literary opinions out there that are safe and they become safe through a variety of factors that have nothing to do with, um, (laughs) honest, critical discussion. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know. I think it's interesting, but I guess maybe my point here, and I think yours as well, is that there's a lot of room for people to be more honest and if you do it respectfully and if you do it in a way that engages with yourself and your own response, that would probably all be better. and We'd probably end up with a lot more interesting discussions. So my request for all of you listeners is to be honest and transparent with yourself and critical of, of the books that you have just read and like actually name some fucking names. I want to figure out what everybody else doesn't like <laughs> because yeah. I 
want to have a discussion on Twitter with a stranger who's like, I didn't really love this book. I'll be like, oh, interesting. Why? And they'll tell me and I'll go, you know, I actually really did like it because of X, Y and Z. And I'll be like, cool. That's a good take. That is also a good take, stranger on the internet. <laughs> this Neat. sounds like we an have internet. both been improved by this experience. That, I want to have that. What you've just described is a Twitter exchange that will never happen. <laughs> like what you've asked to have is a, is a good faith argument on the internet. Um, so good luck with that, Laura. I, I, hope that <laughs> I think that if anybody can do it, I hope that you get it's it's our magical listeners. It's our magical listeners. So magical listeners, engage with us and with each other and also with the loon because I'm sure the loon has opinions. Oh, he does. On <laughs> on what books you don't like and actually name some names. Um, Should we wrap up? Yeah. Our, our right tip this week is also shamelessly stolen from the Marlon James Lisa Lucas event. As it should be. Yeah, uh, that'll be that'll be a theme for the next two or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, as as kind of a reason that they were talking about audiobooks mm-hmm. is because well, somebody in the audience audience asked a question about audiobooks, whatever. But then Marlon James said, you know, on top of the dumb, like of course, like consuming a book through your ears also counts yeah. as as consuming a book, whatever. Uh-huh. But he said something really interesting, and he was talking about his readers in the UK mm-hmm. and that he actually has a really large contingent of British blind readers. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, it is. And so, cause his book is available via audio, which I am afraid to listen to on audio, even though I love audio because he has like 77 different a lot of characters. character. And, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. going to read that like actual yeah. sucker. Yeah. Anyway. Um, he says that a lot of his UK readers, these blind readers, particularly, really, really love him and his writing. And he's uh-huh. actually gotten a letter from some sort of, like, blind and just to be association. Clear, like, blind, like, we're talking, like, just in case anyone is unclear. We're talking physical blindness. Physical about, blindness. Yeah, not like, like, bl- like people have blind, you know, it's like blind review. Blind is a word that often means metaphoric things in book the book world. No, we're talking about, we're talking about physical People eyesight, who can't that, right. or have difficulties reading or are, right. are unable completely to read right. books. right. That are printed. Right. Um, so, so why did he, they like him? He got this letter from this like organization in the UK for like supporting blind people or whatever, congratulating mm-hmm. him on his work. And here's the reason, and I think there's a really good writing lesson in here yeah. why they liked his work. It's because Marlon James, as a writer, does not rely very much on physical descriptions of things, mm. as in the the ways that we describe things that we can see with our eyes. Right. So, for instance, you know, if you've been blind from birth and, you know, you're listening to a book and somebody is describing a red dress, Uh you're not going to know what that means. Mm -hmm. And so I think Marlon just very naturally uses all of his other senses, probably a lot more than a lot of different writers. Okay. And not to say that you shouldn't use your, you know, your, your eyes for, for, your writing and for your writing senses, but you yeah. really should think about all of your other senses. So that is my challenge to you and my right tip. My right tip: when you're published and you win the Man Booker and you <laughs> you'll get a very nice letter from pe- blind readers in the UK saying, "Yay, we actually could understand your book." Just try, to, yeah. No, I mean, I think I think there's something really interesting there in that the idea that um, try, you know, once you've written, if you're going back and trying to make something better. How would you put it to someone who can't see it? 
You know, like bring in some, you know, some audible details, bring in some sense smells or some, like you know, the feeling. smell of the books. Exactly. Like you can sort of enhance, you can sort of make things a little bit come to life a little more um, by trying to get away from yeah. sort of the basic visual descriptions. of Exactly. Things. You know, like, can you feel like you don't have to say it's sunny. You can say that you feel the sun on your skin because that's something you can do. <laughs> what, what a poet you are. I thank Laura. you. <laughs> Shut up, Eric. On that note, uh, uh, we're, we're going to leave you. Please, if you're listening to this, then just head on over to Patreon and listen to our query show because it's out today also. Um, our first pages show, of course, is going out April 27th. That is also a Thursday. And we will see you for our regular show next week. Mm-hmm.